Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. totally into reading it and also you know maybe getting away from all the like american centered you know there's lots of comic book stuff out there but i guess my question for you is like sailor moon like because you have very strong lines drawn as to what is a superhero and what is not a superhero yeah. and in the gutter we're doing superhero comics yes right oh, yeah she's 100 percent a superhero okay. like 200 yes. percent. i was actually okay, gonna awesome. say that's one of the like sort of um, bonuses, I guess, of like, like, or, or one of the added layers, um, is mm-hmm. that, that as you're saying, like getting outside of the, okay. So, so a thing I say a lot is there, there aren't very many things. This is one of the strengths of America, I think, right. Is that there aren't a, a lot of things that are uniquely American. We're very much that melting pot, mm-hmm. like borrow from all over, sometimes yeah. steal to, to greater and lesser extent, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, sometimes it's yeah. we're influence mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like, well, we'll just take that. But, but superheroes are legitimately one of the things that I consider a uniquely American concept. They did not exist before Superman. Uh, they're, Mm-hmm. You know, there were uh, shades of what would become the superhero, but they don't exist until Superman. It's just facts like they don't. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. And uh, so I love when I get an opportunity to see a uniquely American thing through the lens of another culture. Right. Like so. Yeah. And Sailor Moon is both very Japanese and very feminine. Mm-hmm which are both really mm-hmm. lenses I don't get to see applied to superheroes very often. So it's yes. she is still very much within the remit of this podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, but it will be really like a different look at superheroes uh, entirely. I mean, mm-hmm. they they do shoot fireballs and lasers and shit, but most of the time they beat their bad guys by just loving each other so damn much that the villains can't <laughs> overcome them. I mean, it's that kind of like... But yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Costume, superpowers, secret identity, you know, the the whole deal. So check in every box. 100%, no doubt. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited about that. And that is, you know, what's to come in future seasons of In the Gutter. But now we're talking this week about uh, issue three, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Ed Brubaker, 2004. Links in the show notes for anybody who (laughs) is confused as to which one... We're actually reading because there are a number out there that would probably apply to like all of those details. Um, but anyway, so so this week, like, you know, we're still moving through like this is again, like another it feels very act two, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we launched our story and now we're in this like moving through this space um, in, in act two. And you know what? That's no shade. Like, I, first of all, you need an act two. Right. <laughs> you know, you always do. It's always the hardest part for me to write. I think that sometimes it can be very challenging. Uh, Sometimes you lose your readers, you know, uh, during that phase. Um, but I'm I'm enjoying this. I think it's I think it's still you know top shelf. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the trick. Uh, I think this is the probably the first episode where we will be kind of doing a lot of well, still awesome, you know, um, yeah. which is mm-hmm. as you say, it's no shade. It is what it is. Like you have to do this stuff. But I I really think, and we will definitely get into the details of this. But I think that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way that this act two happens is still just like masterfully done. Like, again, it's the check all the boxes. Did we get like, did we move the plot forward? Absolutely. 
right? Did we get yes. an action mm-hmm. scene or two? Absolutely. Did we get some character beats? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So it's like, what? Yeah. Did we get a little teaser at the end that shit's gonna get worse? Damn right we did. <laughs> And that's what makes a story roll is that everything's escalating. Things are getting worse. Um, So, all right, you know, like, let's go ahead. Let's go into the summary. Jack, roll the music. In Captain America Out of Time Part 3, the plot thickens as Union Jack and MI5 discover they're too late to retrieve the Red Skull's doomsday device. But that's because someone else already murdered his operatives and stole it. But nobody knows who did it. Cap's memories of his final mission before going in the ice continue to change, but he doesn't have time to dwell on that, as he and Agent 13 arrive in France just in time to stop the theft of that doomsday device. This time it's definitely AIM, but they pinky swear it's because they consider the device stolen and just wanted to reclaim their property. Steve and Sharon have a kind of date where they walk down the Champs-Élysées, as well as Memory Lane. The former for romance, and the latter to remind real-world Americans in 2005 that they were being real dicks to the French for no reason, more on that in a bit. (laughs) Steve and Sharon came to the conclusion that shit is frankly fucked and only likely to get worse. Meanwhile, just outside Pittsburgh, someone murders one-time protege of Captain America, Jack Monroe, stuffs him in a trunk, and drives his corpse to parts unknown. Wow. That is pretty damn well packed. Everybody who wants all of the credits aside from Ed Brubaker, which is the one we're always going to talk about, uh, look in the show notes. We've got everything listed there. Um, Overall response to this one, again, like, you know, we're moving through the story. We're putting pieces in place. Stuff is happening. I'm still interested in what's going on instead of that act two kind of antsy Mm -hmm. what's next, you know? Um, And at the end... You know, uh, I was I was kind of like, oh, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, who is this dude? Um, so that was really interesting. We will definitely talk about that later. Uh, what's your overall response to this issue? I mean, it's really the it's really the same. It's just as we talked about, like like it could be mm-hmm. an act two lull, except it's not because nothing ever stops. You know, we've kind of talked a little bit about mm-hmm. like uh, the interaction between multiple evil terrorist organizations. I love the idea that there is something going on in the story that is bigger or wider or other than our main characters. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, they're our viewpoint to the story, but that doesn't mean that everybody is just standing around waiting for their gaze to fall on them. And the fact that AIM <laughs> yes. is pissed at aid who, mm-hmm. you know, is and is coming after them and that there is potentially a whole other faction. Like, again, if you blink, you'll miss it. But a lot of really serious stuff is being set up here while we still get cool character bits. I mean, it's just it's just really well done. We said it. It's all bangers. And even mm-hmm. even the kind of uh, slow build tick, tick, tick up the roller coaster issues are still really good. I think. What do you say? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that I I have to say I'm kind of like caught in this space where every time I hear like the name, the acronym for a new faction, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, like, (laughs) it's like enough. How many bad guys are we going to have? At the same time, I think that it feeds into the superhero angst of they just keep coming. No matter what you do, no matter who you clear out, no matter who you hit in the head with your shield, no matter who you maybe go a little bit too ape shit on, like there's always going to be more. And I think like as somebody with animals and with fleas last year, we had a flea outbreak at the house that I left 
that I was tempted to burn down, but did not. Instead, I sold it. But um, yeah, you know, we had a flea outbreak and it just felt like every time we cleared it out, there just were more coming. And so I will compare like my, you know, vermin issue <laughs> to yeah. how a superhero must feel, you know, because it's like no matter what you do, they just keep coming. There's a real whack-a-mole aspect to supervillains mm -hmm. and there's a real whack-a-mole aspect to evil terrorist organizations yeah. in espionage mm -hmm. fiction. Mm -hmm. So here we are yeah. getting the best of both of those worlds. Absolutely. Um, and, and also I really like when supervillain egos bounce off one another, even when they're sort of institutional mm -hmm. egos and the idea that aim is like those motherfuckers <laughs> stole our stuff. They were your guys <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Yeah, but they left and stole our stuff and we want it back. Oh my God. You know. Do you know what Carhartts are? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you're familiar with Carhartts. I never knew until I moved to Alaska. I did not know what Carhartts were. <laughs> Uh, but Carhartts are like these, I mean, there's there's a number of different things that they make, but it's basically kind of like a brown denim-ish sort of material that um, that Alaskans pride themselves on working with their hands. When you are working with your hands on anything in Alaska, be it your car or whatever, like you're out and you're cutting down trees, you're clearing out a campsite. And I know that sounds like stereotypical Alaskan. Trust me when I say the people who moved to Alaska are the people who like that shit. So, um, so what choice have they? Anyway, you know, that's exactly yeah, you get into life. it. You get into it. It's just the way it, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I love Alaska. I still miss it. The only reason I left is because it's so damn far away from absolutely everything else. Um, and also Sarah Palin lived there. But anyway, so um, so I have a joke in my opening where we're talking about like in the script here, I have a thing about cover art, but I'm looking at these guys, right? And, um, it, you know, that the Cap is beating up like the bad guys. I like the fact that they have a unifying look, right? They're all in uniform. Like, None of these, you know, low level hoods, as you often like That's to call right. them, the people who are in in the organization, but basically fodder for Captain America to beat up and, and or kill. Right. Um, you know, they're all wearing these like Carhartt overalls with this kind of is it is it a um, is it like a tech shield over their chest? Is it just the it's like right over their heart it's like a little or it's on their back or something but it's like is it is it kevlar like what what are they wearing i are these carhartts i don't know are these alaskan bad guys i guess this is actually this is <laughs> this is actually a good issue to bring this up because um i realize <laughs> i realize the, and I'm going to drop some names you don't know, but some of our comic book listeners will know. Okay. You know, you know one of them, and you've definitely heard me mention the other ones. But I realize that every single superhero story can't look like Jack Kirby, Jim Colon, or uh, Jim Steranko mm -hmm. drew it or did the cover for it. But also, yeah. This is what, and we can't give away any of the stuff in this story on the cover. So, like, uh -huh. look, Hydra has distinctive uniforms. AIM has distinctive uniforms. The Serpent Society mm -hmm. has distinctive uniforms. But these guys are just guys. Like, this is what you would expect. But they're all wearing a uniform. Are they trying to look like, um, 
like I, I you know like people who work for like the city or something <laughs> that they would be underground and like working on stuff is it is it a disguise it, are those ca- like it's the black blocks terrorists. that are on their back in front right and the, but then they've got the balaclavas on right. which i think give away that they're not just like you know city workers <laughs> so anyway wait, so we've got this cover let's go ahead let's go ahead and go back to what it is that i'm actually referring to which is the the cover art right because that's what we're supposed to discuss right next. and and we are like that's i'm that's why i'm mentioning yes. that like i it, the, i mean look look i know that this is a little more mm-hmm. grounded espionage story i'm a hundred percent for that uh, obviously we're three issues in i'm on the label like yeah, yeah make it make it lacare but with mm-hmm. captain america in it it's fine it's fine and also i am well aware of the fact we cannot be given stuff away like that's why the first issue cover yeah. was kind of meh, because they were like it's a whole yeah, new thing generic and we want a big surprise right, right. Mm-hmm. but when right. they fight mm-hmm. aim in the actual comic book they're wearing their yellow yeah. fucking beekeeper outfits <laughs> they have uniforms, but this is just, I, I, I'm just, look, Epting is an amazing artist. He does great yeah. work. At the same time, this is an extremely mid cover to me because it's just Cap mm-hmm. and Sharon beating up nameless thugs, but they're not even nameless thugs who work for an organization. They are just yeah. like generic terrorist guys. So is it beautifully executed? Yes. Is it also kind of boring as shit? Also, Yes. Also just weird, but I have to say like the most interesting uh, element of this cover for me is uh, Sharon, oh, yeah. who seems to have come around. Like the expression on her face is, let's do this. <laughs> let's fuck these guys up. Because she just has this look on her face. Like she's like, you know what, Cap? I take it all back. These fleas are making me nuts. Cannot take it. Let's just kill them all. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, she seems to be with Cap on the let's just let's just destroy everything. Well, let's kind of face. Let's be clear. Sharon is not a pacifist. She's just a spy. (laughs) She's part of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, you cannot be a pacifist to be part of S.H.I.E.L.D. She just wants Cap to murder people quieter, (laughs) which literally comes up in this. Or maybe 20 percent less murder. Well, I mean, like maybe maybe he's overgoing the quota. You yeah. know, like there's a certain amount of murder that you just expect. It's in the line of duty, <laughs> but we don't need to go too far. Yes. But once they're right there in front of you. Yeah. It's not like she wants to mm-hmm. be pals. She's like, all right, they're here. Let's gun them down. <laughs> Let's do this thing. <laughs> let's not capture anybody. You know, let's not like, yeah. Just oh, no. Away. Hold on. So, we get uh, to yeah. that. There's, there's some actual yeah, capturing people in this issue. Like. The brakes are pumped, bit of capture, but no, yes. it is. She's mm-hmm. very much like like in it to win it on the cover. Uh, she's probably mm-hmm. like yeah. if I have to pick the least mid part of this cover, it's probably Sharon. She just looks fantastic, <laughs> you know, uh, ready to wreck these dudes. She's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, Sharon is like the big thing that stood out to me in the interior art as well. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff going on. There's nice art acting yes, happening yes. Um, in this in this very personal scene with Steve and Sharon while they're just walking through Paris, mm. you know. Um, but here's the thing, like as a side note, and I realize that and this is like you, you balance everything and I'm talking about like every visual medium is that it's not about how it looks. It's about how it feels. So it looks like how it feels, but what that look does is sends this message that this is how everybody should look instead of this is how you should feel. And I think that our visual media is going to struggle with striking that balance appropriately. But here we have Sharon, 
um, who I just want to say has been on the job for possibly days, <laughs> at least 24 hours without stop, right? Uh, Steve has gotten a break. Sharon, I believe, has not. Uh, flying across the world, chasing terrorists down, beating up guys in a Manhattan underground sewer-ish type place. I didn't see sewer material, but it was underground. Underground is usually not <laughs> the cleanest. There would at least be spider webs in her face or whatever, you know, trying to keep Cap from killing absolutely everybody. Like she has had a day. So here she is. She gets off this plane after all of that travel, after doing all this out of working. And I have not seen this woman take a nap or take a shower or anything. Gets off the plane. Her hair is perfectly flowing in the breeze. Doesn't get stuck in her eyes. Doesn't get stuck in her lipstick, which, by the way, is also on point. Um, <laughs> and then she's just taking a phone call about this massive terrorist event that's going on. And I'm just I just had to laugh. And I don't know if it's because I'm on the feminine side of the human experience and therefore know exactly that your hair is in a baseball cap and a ponytail and there's no makeup. If there is makeup, it's yesterday's makeup and it's coming slowly down your cheek, <laughs> making you look a little bit gothy. Like that is the reality of this situation. And so I like that this is how she feels empowered and ready to go and she's like on it as opposed to what she would actually look like but that honestly all this great interior art that's the thing that stood out to me i mean what, what's really interesting here about the difference between our experiences right is that i want to i don't want to immediately say like um actually but i mean if you look at like james yeah. bond right it's kind of the same thing right yeah um no matter what's happening he always looks friggin great and immaculate and if and he his, doesn't and his martini is unspilled right yes right and if he exactly. doesn't mm -hmm. that is actually a sign that we have escalated things right exactly oh right. my goodness he is must right um so the treatment is largely the same for these characters but the experience mm -hmm. absolutely is really different i mean um i don't yeah. think anybody lets you know we come from a, talking about the mcu a lot and you felt this way about mm -hmm. black widow often i don't feel yes. like the guys in a lot of those movies are allowed to be scuffed up either, but they're also not quite no. as coiffured, not quite as but obviously they also made up. Are not wearing. I mean, if we're talking about the actors in the movie; they yeah, are wearing yeah. makeup. But I mean, like the the women, people of a feminine experience, are often wearing eyeliner and right. eyeshadow yes. and mascara and lipstick and all of this stuff, right? And hair tends to be more complicated the longer it is. So Thor, I will absolutely put Thor in this part of the experience <laughs> that we're not really, we're not really like drawing a hard gender line between, but the people who are experiencing some of the, the things that are assigned to the feminine side can absolutely step over despite how they identify. Um, so people, anybody could be on either side of this camp. I'm just saying that people with the feminine experience of wearing makeup, makeup lasts for the first 15 minutes after you put it on and then it just slowly melts down your face and that is your experience of the day and at the right. end of the day you wash it off and then you start again the next day but for those first 15 minutes when you are looking at yourself in the mirror it's great like you feel like Sharon, you know? Um, but yeah, so like that's a whole different kind of experience. So for me, like I'm looking at this, this woman and how phenomenally black widow like you know yeah. made up yeah. and all this kind of stuff but again again that's about how you feel yeah right 
Like this is we are representing and that's the problem with with like, you know, this kind of criticism of visuals is that it does put a pressure on, you know, people who who engage in that feminine side of the experience. Yes. The things that are generally assigned to the feminine side of the experience. And I know men who wear makeup and fucking rock it. It's amazing. Um people who identify as men. Anyway, it's a whole complicated gender thing. My whole point is um, that that these things are about how it feels. And that's like, there have been times where I have felt like how Sharon looks in this, right? Yes. I have felt amazing. And then I grab a like image of myself in a mirror reflection somewhere and I'm like, oh, that is different from how I feel. But it doesn't <laughs> matter because how you feel is really what it's about. Um, so having the, our visuals represent how we feel or how the character feels like here, Sharon feels ready to go in power. She's knocking this out. She's doing this thing. She's got her shit together. She is making it happen. That is how she feels, um, how she literally looks in this realistic kind of thing. I'm spending way more time on this. Everybody out there who is like, Lonnie, just shut up. Yes, I'm with you. But the whole thing is, is that it is, there is that question of the the difference in a visual medium. How do you strike that difference between this is a visual representation of how this character feels because we're coming from the inside out versus this is how any woman should look at all times, which is a message that does get sent to us. It's It's a tough line to ride. Anyway, just something that stood out to me in no, this moment. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I think where I was headed was that the stuff that turns the feminine experience with their appearance yeah. up two notches mm -hmm. in the real world turns yeah. our reaction to that when we're really looking for it up two notches as well. So that like yes. Cap mm -hmm. looks great, even though he literally just rode a flying machine down and beat up 47 <laughs> dudes. But we don't think about it because we don't think right. about how men look all the time in the way that we do about the ladies as much um, although that is happening to men much more often that that clamp is clamping down on the male experience i think a lot more now than it used to oh yeah thanks to the mcu which is just a i mean not <laughs> solely but i mean uh, just the the kind of ironic feedback just, loop yeah. there is great there is um it's yeah. not a superhero book but there is a espionage mm -hmm. book uh by another writer who uh, does a lot of espionage and crime work and has done mm -hmm. superhero stuff i love i've loved his runs on like uh, wonder woman and batman named greg rucka and he had a book called mm -hmm. queen and country in the early 2000s that was a much more realistic still not perfectly realistic mm -hmm. because we want to have some action and adventure, but a much more realistic espionage look. And his main character was a woman. And most of the time she's, well, it was a black and white book for one thing, but also she's drawn mm -hmm. very like plain faced, like, and in yeah. a ponytail mm -hmm. or a ball cap, like most of the time to the point where one thing he did with that book was rotate the artists. And they had one, mm -hmm. um, I think he was Argentinian. I wasn't prepared to talk about this or I would have checked my, uh, checked my facts, but, <laughs> and he, uh -huh. and he has a very, um, South American comic book artist style, which mm -hmm. tends to be very, at least from the male side, what I've seen tends to be very sexualized with women. So was the art great? Yes. Did our main character look like herself? No. And it was weird <laughs> and jarring. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. she looked like she, like Sharon should mm -hmm. look, and, you know, here are my air quotes, because even though we're gritting this up and making it more of an espionage story, it's still a spy mm -hmm. fi, which is not realistic. And it's still superheroes, yeah. which is not realistic. So, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, uh, 
balancing act, I think, even for Epting and Lark as to how realistic yeah. things actually need to look like. Yeah, let's desaturate the color. But also Captain America is punching super scientists in beekeeper outfits, you know. Find, That's true. Find so, your balance, like, where fam, do you, you know, <laughs> where do you draw the line? And this is a point too, where extra textual considerations come into the discussion of the of the artwork. I think, I think, I feel like I have sufficiently, uh, you know, beaten that dead horse. So um, <laughs> let's go into our story yeah. now. Um, and uh, you know, like the first response to me is, of course, it's got to be France. France is where all the trauma happened. We're not going to go anywhere else. Of course, we're going to go right to the place where, because I believe it was in France, it, like in the comics where Bucky died, right? So that is all that stuff happening in France? shifts a lot. Typically, mm -hmm. uh, Cap goes into the North Atlantic, which it's not impossible okay. that that could be starting in France, but usually it's more of a like a, a Balkans or, you know, like right. something undisclosed North Atlantic location. But right, that right. said, mm -hmm. this is the Western Front. So mm -hmm. while Cap and Bucky traveled all over the place for World War II, this is definitely and, and we talk about this in this issue also, this is definitely yeah. where the bulk of their fighting would have been like he right. was not nearly as experience. present in the Pacific front as he was mm -hmm. in the Western front. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is uh, if not that acute trauma, it's where most mm -hmm. of the war, the PTSD, you know, kind of trauma would come A from lot of for them. Stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he talks specifically about it, you know, like the town that they were trying to liberate and then all the people who had died and 600 bodies and all of that kind of stuff. So we have Brubaker, putting his foot down on the trauma pedal and not letting up, you know. <laughs> um, but I do like that I, once again, like the first time that Cap, God, I love these details, right? Because you can, the first time that Cap misremembered, like in the dream, yes. how Bucky died. He got, he didn't get shot in the gut, right? He gets shot in the gut. Um, and then Red Skull gets shot in the chest. And so I was like, oh, well, that's really interesting because it's just slightly off. So it's not exactly like mm -hmm. a, you and know, it was like a dream. A, um, Exactly. It's not exactly a psychic dream, but it kind of has those those elements to it. Uh, but then here we go. He's having a waking flashback. Mm -hmm. And afterward, he's like, oh, but those details weren't right. That's not how it happened. So now I'm like, okay, are we like, we know that we've got lots of Marvel alternate universes. Is this one of those things? Like, what is being set up here? But I love how the first beat of this was set up so subtly. Yes. That you yes. can go through it and be like, oh, okay, it was just this. It was and explain it away in the way that a character might, you know? And now here we are having this experience with Cap. He goes into the bathroom for a minute. He has a flashback. And he's like, but that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. And so his memories are diverging now as he's going back to all of these places where all of this trauma happened. And then like, you know, part of the like, experience of processing trauma is what is real? What yeah. actually happened? You know, and trying to go through all of that and figure out what is real, what actually happened to you? What am I exaggerating? What am I making up? Like all of that kind of stuff, constantly questioning yourself is sort of part of that trauma experience. And I'm like, you know, this is, I think so beautifully and delicately done while, once again, foot on the trauma pedal, mm -hmm. Brubaker. Damn. You know, so I kind of love that. There are plot reasons for the memory stuff that I want to put in my back pocket since this oh, is I'm your first read through, right? right? Mm -hmm. But what I appreciated about it is that there are really big, stupid, crazy superhero plot reasons for the memory stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But Brubaker just feeds that back into a trauma experience. Mm -hmm. Like Cap has the moment. Wait, is that how it happened? I mean, which... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I know because I've read ahead that there's some, you know, some fuckery afoot. Right. Uh huh. But mm-hmm. but and, and, and actually th- this will um this will feed back into uh, a thing I really appreciate mm-hmm. about Cap talking about his time in France. But it's Brubaker and Epting and Lark in this case don't bend their story out of shape to make it a trauma story. Right. Right. I am Mm -hmm. watching some other things right now and I don't want to start a whole thing. Don't at me. I'm just going to skip it. But I am watching (laughs) some genre stuff right now where I'm like, calm the fuck down. Not everything has to be about trauma all the time. Or if it does, it cannot be so, you know, Mm -hmm. grind us down, you know, uh, approach. But Mm -hmm. this is 2005. So, I, you know, the fact that he just that they as a as a unit just don't bend the story out of shape. They actually say things about trauma in mm-hmm. a genre appropriate way. Like we get our cake yeah. and eat it too is so good. It's just oh phenomenal work. It's so efficient. I don't think there is a panel in this thing where they're not doing at least two things at once, if not more. Um, and I absolutely like appreciate the hell out of that because that's very difficult to do, but so rewarding mm-hmm. as a reader when you're going in and you realize that this text has so much depth to it. There's so much going on. You know, I read the comic at least two times for every podcast, oh, yeah. if not yeah. more than that, because I'll go back through and then I'll see other things and then I'll catch other things. Um, and every time I do, I'm like, oh, and then there's that. Oh, and then there's this. And now because I read to the end of this issue. I know what that means and like all of this it's really all of it pulling together and one of the things that I really want to do is I think you know uh, we haven't planned this yet and I'm launching this on you in the middle of a podcast in front of everybody but (laughs) like you know I want to kind of go back after we've done the whole thing and do a review where we read through everything all again, all as one oh, long story sure. and then have a discussion about it because I feel like there's so much that I see. There are these little flowers coming up out of the ground that I'm picking as I go. And then, but there's other ones there that I didn't see on the first run through. So, um, We'll talk about that, but I'm really, really enjoying like all of this stuff. And I think that it's so interesting how incredibly layered it is. That's exactly the stuff I mean when I say Mm -hmm. that a story rewards a reread, you know, because sometimes Mm -hmm. I reread for fun, like I liked it, but I'm not, there's not any extra there, there, you know, but in this case, Mm -hmm. yeah, like more I can't even say anything because I don't want to accident. I mean, I know right. you're not the biggest mm-hmm. like like you're not that concerned about spoilers, but I also want you to experience yeah. the thing, you know, similarly to how too, I did exactly. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are things mm-hmm. in the first issue that you picked up on that mean what they mean mm-hmm. in the first issue and are going to mean more things down the Something road. Something else later. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. That's tremendous stuff. Um, while mm-hmm. we're here. Uh, yes. Speaking of rewarding rereading, or perhaps maybe I'm thinking more of just stuff working at a meta level also. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Captain America in France. because Because this flashback scene in this Captain America comic is literally in dialogue with a comic book that came out two years before this. Uh-huh. Buckle up. All right. Remember the Ultimates? <laughs> 
The Ultimates. We have yes. talked about mm-hmm. Ultimate Marvel was this publishing line, mm-hmm. early 2000s. Uh, Marvel wanted to basically create another universe that people could get in on the ground floor of, give them the same kind of feeling that somebody in 1965 might have had, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went on for, you know, like 20 years, which means that that ability to do that quickly degraded. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. that concept has a shelf life, but that's its own reward, right? We got Miles Morales mm-hmm. out of that, you know, stuff like that. The Mm -hmm. Avengers version of that was The Ultimates, which is, as Mm -hmm. discussed, a much better name. But that is the end of the better ideas in The Ultimates. Uh, (laughs) I might give them half a better idea for Nick Fury uh, as Sam, Mm -hmm. or I should say, I might give them half a good idea for Sam Jackson as Nick Fury as discussed last episode, right? But that is like Mm -hmm. half a good idea for the reasons as discussed. So the thing was, Mm -hmm. um, that book was written by Mark Miller. Uh, who is, uh, mm-hmm. you've heard me mention him before on Listen Up A-Holes, mainly in terms mm-hmm. of Civil War. Uh, I referred to him as noted hack Mark Miller, and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, around 2002, <laughs> you may recall, the USA collectively went fucking crazy and bombed the shit out of countries that didn't have anything to do with 9-11. Uh, you mm-hmm. might have heard, oh, younger listeners, you might have heard of it because we literally just fucking stopped. Like 10 minutes ago, we just did. Mm -hmm. But a thing that we don't talk about as much anymore during our collective moment of madness is that not every Mm -hmm. country thought it was a great idea, right? (laughs) France didn't really want to get involved and rightly talked Mm -hmm. shit about us and Britain and the other coalition forces. And this led to a bunch of asshole Americans getting really angry at France and insisting that they were a bunch of cowards and always had been. For reference, hey, Lonnie, remember Freedom Fries? Oh, my God. We (laughs) weren't allowed to say French fries there for a minute, kids. We had to say Freedom Mm -hmm. Fries, which cracks my my extremely ethnically German ass up because (laughs) this happened to sauerkraut back during the Second World War, and it had to be Liberty Cabbage, and frankly, fuck you people. Okay. So I say all that is a little bit of history lesson. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry for everybody. I'm now beating dead horses, perhaps, but I never know. I mean, that war on terror has been going on so long. We've, you know, just memory hold how it started, right? Yeah, exactly. So at one point during the Ultimates, Ultimate Captain America, who had been portrayed as much more like your sexist, racist grandpa in the body of a (laughs) 25-year-old. Is accused of cowardice in a moment, in a fight, Uh like in the middle of a fight. And he points at his own head and says, you think the letter on my head stands for France? (laughs) Did I mention that Miller sucks? Because he super does. And also, Uh also, this is the thing I want to say. I'm going to do a quick shout out to... Already a listener of this podcast, Matt Liparata, who had this conversation with me last night. Both of us remember that line differently. We remember Uh that line as, do you think the A stands for France? Because that's a better Uh writing of a really shit line. But he didn't, Miller didn't even do that. He left it as, do you think the letter on my head, like it's just clumsy and bad. So it's garbage and bad on multiple (laughs) levels. Okay. But this is Brubaker, two years later, Mm -hmm. very much in conversation with that and setting up this Mm -hmm. Steve as a guy who remembers the war as it actually was and not through a bullshit neocon lens, right? Remembers the Second Mm -hmm. World War that way and is a Mm -hmm. huge fan of France because the French resistance Mm -hmm. fucking went through it. 
y'all like read yeah. read the history <laughs> and so this this is brubaker very specifically giving the finger to miller and fam i'm here for it i'm all about that life <laughs> Miller sucks. I don't like him. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, he keeps doing stuff that sucks. And somehow it keeps getting turned into movies. Although it's really interesting that a lot of the movies have nothing to do with the thing that they allegedly based it on. (laughs) But yeah, this is Brubaker going, no, that ain't right. Uh, We're going to we're going to set the 616 Steve up as a man who values the people whose valor actually helped won the war that's big stuff oh well that's really great yeah i didn't have that uh that that context for it but it makes me like that part even more although i do like that part quite a bit um but you know yeah let's let's talk a little bit about cap (laughs) oh oh i wanted to say yes because but that's what i meant before when i talked about Mm -hmm. the like trauma we're, we are doing a thing with trauma that is also doing a genre thing, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, Brubaker did not sit down to write this story and say, I'm going to piss in Miller's Cheerios. Mm-hmm. He set up a completely, it is completely reasonable that a Nazi fuckhead Red Skull would want to blow up New York, London, and Paris, uh-huh. right? Like, that just makes sense. And it just makes sense that we would let Union Jack handle. Yes. London, right? And so, of course, Sharon and Cap are going to Paris. It, it Like, it makes 100. There was no bending and twisting things to to make a place where he could make his point. Mm-hmm. The story does what the story is going to do. And then we have this amazing moment in France that you love. And I'm here to tell you there was a meta level to that. Yeah. That he just homes in on these opportunities like a missile to do more than one thing uh-huh. without derailing the main thing. And right. that is truly truly good stuff mm-hmm. okay sorry i am now i have now beaten my cap in france dead horse no i think it's awesome <laughs> i think it's just a dead horse podcast that's the way it's gonna be and hopefully people like it uh but here's the thing though actually while you bring in union jack because we didn't really talk about that very much he just kind of pops in i presume it's somebody that like a character that has been around that we all know or that people uh-huh. who've been reading it knows um but he's wearing this like face mask that makes him look really yeah. it's like it's it's it, it feels kind of Hannibal Lecter and this was drawn you know post um Silence of the Lambs so I, I'm just kind of I, I'm having a moment where why why do we make him look super evil Union Jack he's supposed to be a good well, guy right yes I think what they're actually doing is making him look really tactical okay and this is this is also an MCU conversation that you and I have had mm-hmm. that I don't want my superheroes to look like SWAT cops right. with a coat of paint, mm-hmm. right? And again, this is a very gritty, mm-hmm. more espionage, you know, take on the whole thing. Um, and I do think that that you can see where that kind of breaks down yeah. in Union Jack's outfit. Because mm-hmm. normally I point out Union Jack as the best flag-themed costume yes. in superhero uh-huh. comics, bar none. But you're not seeing it in this issue. <laughs> That's why I put a picture of it in our notes yes. so you can see why I would normally say that. He looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll share that uh, image with you guys in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so I just, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's, I, I think it's a gas mask. It, it, That's what yeah. I think it's... Yeah, it's like in case there were tear gas or whatever the hell. It's he, they just went so tactical with uh-huh. him that he's not cool looking anymore. Which I which I guess is a reason I'm glad they didn't fuck around with Cap's he's outfit scary too much. Looking. Like they, when I first saw the image, yeah, yeah. I thought he was like a bad guy breaking through the comms, and it turns out he's just the guy protecting you know 
England or whatever. But uh, anyway. So I'm going to tell you a yeah. Union Jack factoid, then, yes. then we can cruise right by because mm-hmm. I refuse to elaborate on it here. I just want you to remember that this is the 616 and yes. shit is weird. Yes. And uh, the Union Jack has uh, not been the same guy, but he's been around since World War One. Uh-huh. Uh, the identity has. And he has most of that time fought vampires on behalf of the British government. So I'm just going to, I refuse to elaborate. I'm just going to leave that there with you. That's his job. I'm going to need to, yeah, read some of that. But anyway. Sometimes (laughs) they were Nazi vampires during World War II, but still, that was his deal. I think that's enough. You had me at Nazi vampires. (laughs) I got to read that. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) this is the issue that we're talking about. So let's talk a little bit about Cap. I'm maybe overreacting a little bit in that he sends an AIM hover jet into civilian traffic. Um, You're Cap. You can't guide into it. And also, like, let's not forget that this is not, these are not actual events that must be depicted. This is not a documentary. Everything here is a choice, right? We could have chosen to take the hover jet into a lake, you know, where like, yes, some ducks are going to get fucked up. People are going to have a little extra foie gras (laughs) around in France. In the Thames, perhaps. Or somewhere, you know, but like here he is, like just bringing it down in the middle of traffic. And yes, there's like, you know, explosives on board, which make it even more unfathomable a choice because it is a choice. It is a choice both on the meta level by the writers and it is a choice by cap. Um, and then, you know, we have Sharon all sexy posing by the car. Fury's going to love this. And that was, and caps like what, you know? And so all of that. So like Sharon is acknowledging that that's a, that's a weird choice for somebody who wants to protect people and who, you know, has these feelings about France, although I believe we haven't gotten to that discussion yet. But still, like he has these feelings about France and the French and he wants to protect them and then sends a hover jet into civilians like I, you know, and then the French president is like, well done, Cap. Way to destroy a major thoroughfare. Yeah. Kill a bunch of my citizens. I realized you couldn't possibly have followed them, waited until they landed safely, and then taken them quietly into custody because, well, who cares? Thank you, Cap. And the whole thing for me is reading as just like this weird fever dream. Like, this isn't something, especially from Sharon, who recently was like, did you have to beat up those bad guys so yes. much? Yes. But killing a bunch of civilians, like, what a collateral damage, you know? It is a really mixed message, I think, within the fiction. And I'm and I'm yeah. legitimately confused about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, on one hand, on one hand, we do not wrap a super soldier in the flag mm-hmm. so that he can do a Terry stop. We don't do that. <laughs> However, you're right. Like just an issue or two ago, we were talking about how Cap is overreacting to things, but nobody reacts to him in this like he's overreacting. Yeah. Sharon's got a smirk. Nick Fury's got a smirk. The French president is saying thank you. I really feel like this is one of the small moments, mm-hmm. one of the times that the story drops the ball. Yeah. But I can't decide if it's like a major or a minor flub. I'm really legitimately confused by everyone's reaction 
to that moment mm-hmm. in the fiction. I, I don't know. It, it it does stick out. There's some sand in the gears there. Yeah, there's something about the collateral damage of unnamed, unseen civilians that um, in my experience of Marvel, I've noticed in the movies, they did address it a bit with Zakovia Accords and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm, you know, So there mm-hmm. was some addressing of it in, in the films. But uh, this kind of thing I see happen a lot in, in these superhero stories. And it's always kind of baffling to me. It is baffling to me that Sharon was like, hey, Cap, what the fuck? When he beat up a few terrorists and did it over, mm-hmm. but killing a whole bunch of civilians and being the like, it wasn't like the hover jet was crashing and he was trying to stop it. And those civilians died. That's an escalation. He deliberately downed that thing into traffic into civilians without thinking about the civilians and then we go into this lovely scene with him and Sharon they're walking around he's talking about the people from France he's talking about what they went through he's talking about 600 bodies it was the first time he had ever seen 600 bodies right but he Mm. just created 600 oh maybe maybe not 600 we'll call it at 60 but the point is like he just was the source of a tremendous amount of grief and loss for very real French people. And we don't seem to view civilians as anything other than fodder for escalation in Marvel. In general, that's been my experience. Um, and and I don't know if that's the way it is in like the DC side of superhero comics. I haven't read as much there. Um, but yeah, this, this feels really uh, tonally out of pace with everything else that we've opened up in this, the discussions that we've opened up in the process of, of this, this run. I mean, as far as superhero stuff goes, like there is a question of scale, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. collateral damage is part of that. Like, I love it when the Hulk punches the thing through three buildings. Right. And I don't want to think about the fact that there was stuff Somebody's going on Somebody's doing in those an Excel sheet right? in that building for their boss. <laughs> right. You know? I, I mean, it's a weird... <laughs> Again, this is the for me always. This is the tension between yeah. uh, all of a sudden these have grown up and we have to treat them like grown up stories when these are also cartoon characters made for children. Yes. Like there's always going to be mm-hmm. that tension. And the thing that bothers me about it here is that I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about it. Like I can make an argument yeah. where they have a doom, literal doomsday device in the back of that thing and they don't want to get away. Let them get away with it, right? And But also, two issues ago, it was like, why'd you murder all these dudes and break that guy's face so hard we can't interrogate him? I can't decide what the story wants us to feel about this scene in terms of the bigger story. And that's the thing that is more bothersome to me than the idea of collateral damage. Not that I don't care about dead (laughs) civilians, but I mean... You know, we don't see it. I think that culturally right? so we don't like, care about dead civilians. Tough. I mean, we were just talking about all of the countries that we've gone in yeah. and bombed for the last 20 years. And so well, that's, yeah. we don't care culturally. I think in American culture, what I have seen is that we do not have care for civilians. Because the thing is, is that there's a handful of powerful assholes running various countries that are going around doing bad shit. Um, but we right. are also doing bad shit we're killing a lot of innocent people who are just trying to fill out an excel sheet for their boss and i think that like our lack (laughs) of consideration for the very very human toll that we create as a country is reflected 
in, you know, in some of these stories. And I think that it's one of those things that we really need to culturally, again, like, you know, there is a, there is a space in storytelling where we understand on a metatextual level that no one was actually killed in the making of this comic book. Right. 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 You know, but at the same time, the fact that we are telling stories in which our heroes do not seem to care they care about mm-hmm. the handful of terrorists that Cat beat the shit out of, but they don't care about the fact that he couldn't have brought this down in a park or someplace where there were fewer people. He couldn't have done something. We could have seen him struggle with that. Um, like that to me. And this is, feels like a story where that would have fit. That would absolutely right? have fit. He's struggling with everything. He doesn't struggle with this. Like he just, he just, because he took this thing down. And yes, there is a doomsday device on it. All the more reason to use your Captain America super soldier powers to guide the hover jet (laughs) into, it's a comic book. He can guide a hover jet into a lake, into a park that at night is uninhabited. Nobody's there because it's after sundown. And like, you know, something where like that, if that is what he's trying to do and we see him struggle with some of this, that opens up a space for us to really understand that this is something that we actually care about, but we don't, we don't care about the civilian cost. And that to me, I think is something that needs some serious look at us culturally, yeah. because again, our stories are a reflection of us as a culture. So when we see these problems, in these stories, it's not about the people writing them because they're just writing stuff that they've been writing that's part of this culture. They're just reflecting us back at ourselves. The problem is us. You know, it's not the people telling the stories. It's us. It's the fact that we, that the people telling the stories know that we as an audience are not going to have a concern about this. So, um, so anyway, that was a moment for me. But then we go into this like beautiful, you know, thing with Cap and Sharon. They've got this wonderful relationship. I take back everything I ever said about Sharon Carter. I absolutely love her. <laughs> um, they're having this, you I know. Love, I love that, that I, I laid the foundation for you to grow to love her when I was like, don't think about Peggy because it's the 616. And you were different. like, that's going to be hard. And then two I'm over issues it. later, you're like, never mind. I love her. I'm, She's fantastic. I'm over it. I really do. I mean, aside from the, you know, smirky fury is going to love this on the pile of dead civilians. I really like, um, you know, what Mm -hmm. we've gone on with Sharon here. I like this relationship. I like the fact that maybe they were romantic, but this is a friendship. This is a love story that is about the two of them being friends, right? Because they're not in a romance at this time, right? Am I understanding that correctly? Right, yeah. But they were. So they have a history, but that's no longer part of of who they are. Um, And I love, first of all, that they were together, that they broke up, but that they can have an adult friendship and an adult relationship. I love that we're building this love story between them that is not about sex. Um, You know, I love that this relationship is you know, like a very strong relationship that she is somebody that he can actually talk to that. And, and they're having this conversation and he's like, I know that you've seen 600 bodies piled up, but that was the first time I had seen that many bodies piled up and it meant something to me, you know? Um, and so, you know, like ignoring again, the dead horse that I just beat about that, that seems a little bit weird after what just happened. Um, that, that what just happened isn't a problem, but this memory is, um, but I, I do love the, way that they talk, the way that they communicate, the way that they are, um, you know, deeply open and vulnerable. You know, he's Mm. more deeply open and vulnerable, I think, necessarily than she is. She hasn't really, she's been focused on him. Um, But, you know, like, I I think that it's a really nice relationship and the way that they are able to develop this relationship so beautifully in what turns out to be like, a you know, a section of 24 to 30 pages. Like, that's... (laughs) 
it's pretty good. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important, like um, at a story level also, like obviously it's a beautiful moment, Mm -hmm. but well, I'll say this uh, pulp stories, which is kind of the root from which superheroes grow. It is fine with me mm-hmm. when pulp stories are about the action. Right. Right. Like the characters are very broad. You, you know, what it is about is big scenes of big action where we don't think about collateral damage, except in terms of how cool it looks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's actually absolutely like a question of what that may have done to my psyche yeah. over the years. Mm-hmm. But conceptually, this story is not about that stuff. It's about action is good. But that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. Like this is clearly going to be it started out as and will continue to be intensely personal yeah. for Steve. The whole story. Mm-hmm. And for me, as a, God knows, I love some superhero bombast, right? But you have to have these either. And this one is also it's a the plot's still moving quite a bit in this issue. Also, mm-hmm. like we get action, we get plot, but it's this character moment, this quiet moment where we get a look at these two people and who they are to each other and who they are to the world. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And that they know it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what gives sort of like pathos and shape to the big plot movements mm-hmm. in the action. Yeah. The other stuff matters because of this character stuff uh, in this in this particular, you know, type of Captain America story. It's all about Steve's mm-hmm. past, yeah. really, and how it keeps intruding on the present. Let's make that textual and really talk about it. I, yeah. And in the process of that, as a person who has read different cap runs where uh, Steve and Agent 13 had a more romantic Mm -hmm. relationship. Um, And, you know, slight spoiler, we're going to, we're going to grow back to that place a little bit, but I think it's going to feel really organic Mm -hmm. by the time we get there here. Um, It is really great to see them like as friends. Cause I mean, who else is Captain America's friend? It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Well, and it's, you could maybe get Nick Fury cause they're the same Mm -hmm. like generation, but Nick lived through the intervening years and grew into this super spy. And he is not at all the person that was running around the Western front in World War II. Whereas Steve, I mean, sliding scale of comic book stories, notwithstanding, absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Like, who is his peer? Get real. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. and, that, and that Sharon is the closest that you can get because they had shared big chunks of their life before. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's beautiful stuff. I think it's really good. I think it's really good. OK, so here we get to this ending. Right. You know, we go through this whole yes. thing. We've got all this stuff happening. And then we go to a guy getting drunk in a bar bragging about knowing cap, you know, and my first thought is oh, it's Bucky. Right. You know, he even looks I mean, this was <laughs> this was clearly drawn before uh-huh. Sebastian yes. Stan was, you know, um, was cast is as Bucky. But he kind of looks like Sebastian Stan. And so immediately, like my idea is like, oh, my God, this is Bucky. Um, but then it can't be Bucky because what's the point of presuming he's dead and then just shooting him in the chest? Um, and of course, this is Marvel. So who the hell knows and that's one of the nice things is that like you can look at something and be like why would we bring him back just to shoot him in the chest and like it's marvel people die and come back all the time so who the hell knows um but then the shooter calls him jack monroe so we are very clear like if they had not said it's jack monroe i would have closed this book thinking it's bucky um and let me tell you it killed me not to read the next issue Killed me not to read that <laughs> issue, but I want to be unspoiled whenever we record. So I try to stop like right at the end. Um, but yeah, like what the hell's going on here? Who is Jack Monroe? Okay. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so you tell me how much you want me to say now, because yes. I will remind you that our coda issue yes. is called The Lonesome Death of Jack Monroe. Mm-hmm. That is the coda issue that we are going to cover. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of explanation. I really think that it is a coda issue because Brubaker realized that mm-hmm. there might be a lot of new fans who would not know him, okay. but his connection to Steve Mm-hmm. himself, as well as Captain America as a concept, is something that longtime readers would bring to the book. Okay. So um, I think that it's supposed to land harder for those of us that know, but we will get to a point where Brubaker was like, hey, for those of you who didn't know, we'll bring you up to speed. Okay. All so right. would you like to dig into this now, or do you want to put it in our back pocket until we get to that issue? I think let's set it in our back pocket. Just knowing yeah. that, the, that this is going to be addressed in the course of the reading that we're doing, I think we can set it aside. And I think that that, you know... That, that'll be fine. That'll work fine for me. But I do feel like I was like, oh, it's Bucky. Bucky's a drunk. And he's talking about Cap because he used to know Cap and something happened to Bucky and da 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 Because I know, like, he's dreaming about Bucky you all the time. You are kind of more right than you know. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yes. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be extra mysterious. It's just that, like, as soon as I talk in a, about anything mm-hmm. with Jack Monroe, we'll have to talk about everything. And they really do run it down right. in that other issue. We will set it aside. Which I'll take this mm-hmm. as an opportunity opportunity to say again why this is so well told yes okay Mm -hmm. because this is if they had done the next issue as the lonesome death of jack monroe we would all be madder than shit Mm -hmm. because what a giant gear shift and pumping of the brakes it Mm -hmm. would be for the big story but knowing that doing it next like i can see the tension as a storyteller Mm -hmm. like i don't want to leave this thing a confusing point for a lot of potential mm-hmm. readers, but at the same time, this is not the place for me to unpack it. But I am, by God, gonna unpack okay, it. Like, we will I feel have like that it's, it's Brubaker juggling those balls as best as he can. And that, and again, high five to that guy. He knows what he's doing. All right. So this is, of course, uh, I I feel like. Our favorite part of the show is always talking about our favorite part of the comic book. So, um, and considering that we had some conversations Mm -hmm. about costumes, both on mic and with the patrons who showed up Mm -hmm. to watch us record, um, I get to talk a little bit about that because my favorite art page is the one that starts with Captain America very in his own head, Mm -hmm. really freaking out about how fucked up his life is and that he can't even trust his memories. Mm -hmm. And then there's a knock at the door and his reaction is to reach up and pull the mask on. Mm -hmm. Like he is putting on his literal game face. Mm -hmm. And I think costumes are really important. And I think that secret identities, which is not really Cap's deal, but broadly secret identities are a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? And actually the shift in how Steve reacts to the world. Mm-hmm. Like he he can't stop. We saw in the first issue, he can't stop being Captain America, even when he's just living at home. Mm-hmm. Like the way he lives is based on the fact that he's also Captain America. But the idea that there is a difference between I'm looking at myself in the mirror, Steve Rogers trying mm-hmm. to get my shit together. And then when, as soon as the guy says it's time to go to work, we put, we put on the work suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that shift. And it reminded me of a couple of things like uh, uh, other little comic book moments. There is a throwaway issue of Wolverine that has stuck with me for years because Logan was supposed to be dead at the time, mm-hmm. but he had to do this thing that was very much beyond 
what his current identity, his fake identity could do. Mm-hmm. And so, and when he's about to go do it, another character holds up his Wolverine costume. And he said, I came to do a job. I might as well wear my union suit. Oh, yeah. And I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> and tied to that doing a job. Uh-huh. My favorite Batman costume in the comics of all time is from the Batman Incorporated era, mm-hmm. where Bruce Wayne is literally setting up franchises uh-huh. of Batman, okay. and they all have different costumes. But his outfit is very much like gray overalls <gasps> that they then like like a, like the full bodysuit, like zip up, mm-hmm. right? Like like, but then with Batman flourishes, yeah. so it's still super cool looking. Mm-hmm. Like he still looks like Batman, but it it's also he put on work clothes to go do a damn job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a thing that ties into Batman Incorporated, like as a concept, right? But anyway, I love all of that, Mm -hmm. that the change in costume and the way that we treat those different identities and that we really got to see that in Steve, that he went from my shit is very not together Mm -hmm. as Steve Rogers, but Captain America's shit is always on lock. Let's go do what we got to do. I love it. Love it. I love it. I think that's great. Um, For me in the artwork, I just cannot get over this beautiful kineticism in the action sequences from one frame to the next. Um, And well, I think this move was unbelievably reckless on Cap's part. We have talked about (laughs) that. When he jumps out of the helicarrier onto the AIM hover jet, the way the movement flows so beautifully from one panel to the next, I mean, just from an artistic perspective, is amazing. It's so beautifully done. Can I tell you how excited I am that your favorite part of something is the action sequence? I know, sequence? which never happens. I don't like the action sequence. It stuff. never happens. Yeah. But how long have I said to you, it's if it's done well, if it matters yeah. to the story, if it tells us something about the characters or, you know, whatever, like they're not garbage they're not throwaway they're not spectacle Mm -hmm. they matter for the story when it's done well i'm just oh makes my heart sing i really like that well good i'm glad that i could make you happy because yeah i just when you're and again as somebody who hasn't read a lot of comics this is all new to Mm -hmm. me so i realize that everybody out there listening to this who is a comics veteran who's been reading this stuff forever is like yeah 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 we know but for me this (laughs) is a new discovery like this this visual the way in which this artwork and and one of the things that like kind of drives me crazy a little bit is that and again like a lot of genres you know like comic books are kind of dismissed we joke around about the grown person who reads comic books and plays video games and yada 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 there is amazing work there is artistry Mm -hmm. happening here this is art you know we're calling it art but there's some there's like a dismissive kind of element that comes culturally to the idea of comic books but the work that these people do the the incredible way that artistry is utilized to give us kineticism in something that is a flat two-dimensional panel yes like that is nothing short of magic and i think that it's something that i would like to see respected and appreciated a little bit more um, than we necessarily do. And whenever anybody comes out and says, hey, comic books, actually, everybody, you know, it's like all of a sudden everybody shuts up and they're like, nerd, you know, and nobody listens to what's going on. (laughs) But between this and what I've seen happening over on uh, Endless and the Sandman podcast, we're reading the Sandman comics, um, I am finding these visuals to be absolutely stunning and powerful. And so whenever we get to talking, I mean, honestly, my favorite part of this podcast is when we talk about the art, even though I'm a story person, because I'm discovering 
what these these artists are actually doing and how magical it is. Well, the art's not separate from the story. Like it is part uh, that's, of the story, that's, right? In comics, yes. mm-hmm. they're they are in constant tandem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I mean, just imagine. I mean, I joked at the beginning about like not everything can look like Kirby Colin or Starenko, right. but like just using those three. I mean, you don't know, and it's, so bear with me yeah. here. But just use those three as an example of how vastly different the types of stories you can tell well with those art styles and taking that into account like it. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not separate. You're not betraying your story focus by suddenly discovering that the art actually matters to the story. It's all of a piece and it's fantastic. Keeping in mind that your favorite art part of this is the action moment and what a ridiculous upset of expectations that is for you i want to go into your favorite story part because i love it as a counterpoint (laughs) the two things that really got your attention on one hand in the art level it's this uh, athleticism kineticism and action Mm -hmm. but at the story level what's your favorite part relationship it's that that discussion between cap and sharon as they're walking in paris and then of course you know we open that with sharon saying i don't usually get the night off you know, I very rarely yes. get the night off. Um, and because there's just terrorists everywhere. There's fleas everywhere, right? Um, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. So, uh, so like for them to have the ability to have a conversation and for this story to be told on this deeply emotional, deeply personal level while we have these incredible you know, bombastic things happening all over the world that these these characters have to deal with. Um, I love the space taken for that. I love the breath in that moment. And I love the love story. I mean, again, love, you know, for mm-hmm. those of you who haven't listened to me in other areas, love stories and romances are different things. Um, you know, there's a love story that that doesn't have to do with sex, that doesn't have to do with romance. It's just a love story. And then sometimes you can add romance to that. But the love story to yeah. me is what's most important is that relationship, that love between them that is independent of whether there is a romantic or sexual thing going on here. Um, so I love the building of a good love story. Um, and there's a love story also being told here, at least in the flashbacks between Bucky and Cap that I'm really enjoying as well. Um, but in this mm-hmm, issue, mm-hmm. that's that's my favorite part. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and talk about, you know, as I talk about Bucky and Cap and their love story, your favorite part. So my favorite part is actually almost like a subset, mm-hmm. like I like I got a little more granular yeah. from yours, is that it is the flashback to World War II era France mm-hmm. specifically yeah. that is just my favorite story moment. Um, wh- and again, it makes it hard to pull it apart, as I was just saying, mm-hmm. but like also remember that is a different artist, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, who is also doing photorealistic-ish things. So it's not out of place, but it's different enough mm-hmm. and that I feel like that feeds back into what I love about it, which is... We're being reminded, as Sharon said, that Cap is worldly. He's been around the block, you know, um, and had been even before he became an Avenger and shit got real weird. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he was already had just had so much life experience. And I don't mind a bit the petty aspect of it kind of being in angry dialogue with Mark Miller's much shittier take on Steve and the Ultimates. (laughs) That's my favorite bit. (laughs) 
Well, I appreciate that too. And I do love that. Um, And, you know, as we're talking about story beats, but also the art and the way the art is represented in the flashbacks and how that experience is different and it's black and white, but, you know, because it was so long ago, but there's still a freshness about it. There's a rawness Mm. to the artwork Mm -hmm. of those flashbacks that I think make them feel Uh, make them have like a really big impact that I don't think if they'd been drawn in the same art style as the present that we would have gotten. So like there's so many beautifully evocative decisions that have been made with regard to those flashbacks that I think are just absolutely beautiful. Um, But okay, so now here we are at the end. What are we doing next week? Well, we'll be back next time with Captain America, the Winter Soldier number four, which is also part four of Out of Time in which graves are desecrated, Steve gets even deeper into his own head, and Lonnie puts some respect on Crossbones' name. Oh, 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 that's uh, the Red Skull cosplay guy? Is that who that is? (laughs) Yep, and that's the last time you say that, because he is amazing in this next issue. I will say it again, probably just to bug you. But yes, let's let's enjoy some Crossbones. That's true. That's also part of the charm. That's the sibling thing we get going on here. (laughs) It's just how it it is. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish. <laughs>